So good evening everyone. I want to say a few words tonight about consciousness. Um, as you recall, some of those words I said during meditation, keeping one's consciousness alive to present reality is actually Thich Nhat Hanh's definition of mindfulness. And I think it's the best one I've heard. It's really simple and to the point. But um, as a segue into talking about consciousness, um, as, as some of you know, I had an operation last week to get a cochlear implant put into my ear, which has been totally deaf for five years. And um, so I became curious about the neuroscience of hearing. And, um, and it's quite, quite fascinating. Um, sound is a vibration of airwaves comes into your ear and then that that information gets transformed into a into fluid movement in your inner ear and that activates hair cells which then activate the information going into transformed into neurotransmitters which goes into your brain and then it goes into your brain stem first of all which is sort of the primitive part of your brain that sort of helps you understand where the sound came from and sort of vaguely what kind of sound it was, like if it's a tiger roaring and where it came from or whatever. And then it travels up into the, the cortex areas of your brain, the audio cortex, where there's language centres and um, speech centres and so on. So we'll get processed there. And, it get, and also music gets processed mainly on the right side of your brain. Um, not entirely, but you know, fine tonal resolution and timing and rhythm and so on gets processed over there. But how does that become conscious? How does that become conscious experience? All that neural act, all that activity in the brain, no one knows how all of that, no one has a way of understanding consciousness. And there's some scientists who claim that they do, but they don't. And I was reading, I was glad to read in um, that book by Harari that I've been mentioning um, about um, Homo Deus, um, the future of human beings. And I was glad to hear him saying there that when he wrote the book in 2016, up, up until now in 2016, and he could still say the same for 2019, no one has any understanding of consciousness. Mm -hmm. And yet it's something that we experience all of our waking hours during the day, this thing called consciousness. Right? We, we know what it is as a, our own experience of it, but do we understand it? Oh. And the main point I want to make about it from a Zen perspective, is the fact of consciousness and that we have conscious experience is really a mystery. And, and Zen is about not so much solving a mystery as living the mystery. But when, when you reflect on it, it's a kind of a, it's a miraculous thing that we're consciousness, that we have consciousness, you know, and we're aware of everyday ordinary things. And and we take our everyday life for being 
we, we often think it's mundane. Mm -hmm. Boring, mundane, just washing the dishes, just driving the car. At every moment we're conscious. And it's a miraculous mystery that we're living in every, every time we come back to it. And so to really save a life, you know, by bringing the mind back to the present moment um, is such a, um, a rich experience of something to do. Now, having said that, um, I was just reading um, uh, an article by Thich Nhat Hanh today called The Four Layers of Consciousness, which is where he was describing the Buddhist psychology of consciousness and of mind. And um, he's a very good writer and he makes a lot of obscure things very, very clear. And what he says doesn't jar with modern science at all. Um, but I'll, I'll give you some of the Buddhist background, the Abhidharma background to the mind. First, the, the four layers is that there is mind consciousness, which is really that um, default mind, or they call it the default position of the mind in, in modern mindfulness research. The mind that just thinks, it just automatically thinks, worries, analyzes, plans, judges, and just sort of goes on in the the background all the time. So there's that experience of mind and there's the experience of mind of what we experience through our senses, you know, through our hearing, sight, touch, body experience and so on. And then um, in Buddhism they have a word which translates as um, storehouse consciousness, which is really our modern idea of what the unconscious is. Right? So even though we have a conscious mind, um, when we go to sleep, we're still alive, and we still breathe, and our heart still beats, and everything still goes on. So there's still some kind of aliveness going on there. Right? And then the fourth layer is um, I forget what it's called. Anyway, <laughs> it's the it's the it's the part of the mind which latches onto the storehouse consciousness. And it's a sense of separate self. Is where that, that it's a, that the sense of the separate self from a Buddhist point of view is actually not just in the conscious mind, but it's kind of in the un unconscious mind. And, it, and the, the translation of the word means to appropriate. So it, the, se the sense of a separate self appropriates itself to the storehouse consciousness and says, this is mine, this is me all of my memories and taught, stored experience and everything, all of that is me, mm -hmm. and it holds on to it. And of course our practice is, is to see through that and dissolve it. But what Thich Nhat Hanh is saying from a practice point of view is that people just often read the Abhidharma as um, a, a, an interesting intellectual theory, but he's saying it's important to, to understand this, to understand how the mind works and how practice works. Because, and he uses the metaphor of the conscious mind being like the gardener and the unconscious mind being like the garden. But you think if the, the default position of the mind is always thinking, worrying, judging, planning, analysing, da-da-da, then that's the information that it feeds into the unconscious all the time. That's the information that goes in. You know? 
and it gets stored there. And if you add in emotions like thinking, analysing, planning, plotting with revenge and resentment, there is an emotion. That's what gets fed into the unconscious mind all the time, you know, and so it creates, it skews the way that our unconscious mind works. If on the other hand, you know, your, your mind as much as possible is coming back to present moment reality and just taking in pure sensory input and reality based all the time, that's the information that's going into your storehouse consciousness right, and shaping it. That's the information going in. And so it kind of makes sense, do you know, that when we, when we try to, whether it's through therapy or just everyday life or through meditation, we become aware, for instance, of um, indulging in angry thoughts and emotions. Yes, we can kind of cut those emotions off, we can start to identify them, not carry on the narratives around them so much, and that's good. And that, in a sense, will help us manage the, the anger. But, in a sense, anger then still arises, you know, or resentment still arises, because it's like it's been stored down there in the unconscious for so long that it shapes the way our mind-brain works. So that's why we can kind of work it in a more immediate sense of, say, managing an angry feeling that's inappropriate. Um, but it takes time, it takes years, it takes patience um, for the attitude behind that to shift. Right? So it's like, it's like the brain is being re, reprogrammed um, with pure sensory input coming into it rather than distortion that comes from thinking. So it can take, while it can be some kind of immediate, much more immediate um, change when we start to challenge our, our angry, resentful thoughts, it also takes quite a long time for the whole mind-brain to change the way it's actually programmed. Um, and so that there's a kind of patience that's required with it as well. Um, and that therefore character transformation, you know, through something like Zen practice is something um, doesn't happen over days or weeks or doing one retreat. It happens over years and years and years um, of our, our conscious experience being quite different from the time before we practice. But to put in, in other Buddhist words, it's like we, there's a karma that we create. Um, a habit energy that we create through our thinking processes. And if we no, ling no longer get so identified with that or caught up in that or we see through it, then something seems to purify in our experience of life. So then our responses to life, um, if, we're, if we're living in conscious reality more than in our self-centred dream world, then naturally our spontaneous responses to life situations will be, will be um, more appropriate because the brain mind's been programmed to reality, not some fantasy world. That's the shift that takes place. But to bring it back to present moment reality in the mystery, 
um, Yamada Roshi, who was um, my teacher's teacher, um, had a koan about this, which was simply was, what is the mind? What is the mind? And if you answered him in terms of the Abhidharma, he would have rung you out of the room. Uh That's not the response. It's something much more immediate, um, what he's looking for. What is the mind? 